you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from the thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Thanks for being here. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the show. Tell your friends, neighbors, relatives. Put your arm around them. Hold their hand and just say, look deeply in their eyes and say, have you subscribed to the Chris Voss Show podcast and gotten involved in everything that's going on over there? Uh, also, go to goodreads.com for just Chris Voss. See everything we're reading and reviewing over there as well. Uh, also, go to uh, all of our groups, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. In- LinkedIn newsletter is killing it. If you haven't subscribed to that thing over there, it just grows massively every day. We put that baby out in the 122,000-member group over there on LinkedIn. Uh, today, we have an amazing author on the show. He's uh, very prolific. He's written a lot of different books. Uh, his new book that's coming out is called With a Mind to Kill. This is an official James Bond novel. Anthony Horowitz is on the show with us today. He is a New York best, New York Times best-selling author as well. He's uh, one of the most prolific and successful writers working in the UK and is unique for working across many media. Anthony is a born polymath, uh, juggling writing books, TV series, films, plays, and journalism. He's written over 40 books, including the best-selling teen spy series Alex Ryder, which he adapted into a movie that was released worldwide in 2006. Uh, the Alex Ryder series is estimated to have sold 19 million copies worldwide in his highly anticipated novel Oblivion, the epic conclusion to the Power of Five series, was published in October 2012. He's also an acclaimed writer for adults and was commissioned by the Conan Doyle Estate and Orion Books to publish two new Sherlock Holmes novels. The House of Silk was published in November 2011, was internationally lauded as the top title this autumn. And uh, we'll get right to the point here. Welcome to the show, Anthony. How are you? I'm very well, Chris. What a great pleasure to be talking to you. Thank you much. Thank you much. We certainly appreciate it. We'll have the book in the middle of the final production of the show, but I'll go ahead and hold it up here on screen. Uh, so it, uh, give us your plugs, your .com, so people can find you on the interweb. Well, I have my own website, which is anthonyhorowitz.com, and that's probably the best place to find me. But I'm also on Twitter as Anthony Horowitz, and I always reply to anybody who gets in touch with me there. And, you know, all the various publishers have their own different websites. Actually, it's quite hard to avoid me on the Internet. I think be all over it. Well, there you go. That's a good place to be on the Internet. Hard to avoid. Uh, by the way, his book will be coming out May 24th, 2022. And I believe you'll hear be hearing our podcast on that date about this. So uh, uh, how many James Bond novels have you written? So far, Well, I actually ended up doing three, which is really quite extraordinary because the Ian Fleming estate, when they decided to sort of, you know, redo Bond for the modern age, had the idea that they would hire one writer to do one book and they would keep changing it. So Sebastian hmm. Fuchs had the first one. I think that was back in about 2015 uh, or, or so. I can't remember now, but that was um, Devil May Care. And then there was another one by uh, Jeffrey Deaver, an American writer, very, very good American writer, wrote a wonderful book called Carte Blanche. Love that title, incidentally. That was then followed by William Boyd, who did Solo. Um, And then they came to me um, a while ago, and um, um, my first one was Trigger Mortis, and they came back for seconds and then for thirds. So um, I'm a three-time Bond writer. 
There you go. Well, that's pretty good. Maybe you'll have a good 40-year run like the series. I don't know how long it's been. I don't think so. This one is my last. I think I'm done. One, two, three, and I'm out. Well, there you go. Uh, So tell us, uh, uh, give us an overarching uh, view of this book and what's inside, or tease out what you can. Okay, well, I mean, this is uh, set in 1963, uh, so anybody who's read Bond will know that he's getting on a little bit by then. I mean, it's towards the end of his career. It takes place, in fact, just a a few days after his mission in Jamaica finishes, uh, and that was written by uh, Ian Fleming under the title of The Man with the Golden Gun when he was sent to assassinate Scaramanga. And what happened to him was that he um, returns to Britain and is persuaded by M to infiltrate Russia, to go into Cold War Russia behind the Iron Curtain to try and discover what a mysterious new organization, a successor to Spectre, is planning. Mm. And the way to do that is quite complicated. He has to pretend he's been brainwashed. He has to pretend that he is a Russian agent. And if you've read Man with the Golden Gun, you will know that in that book he was, in fact, brainwashed by the Russians. Now he has to pretend that that brainwashing has still worked. He has to go into Russia. He has to pretend to be a traitor. He has to find out what is going on, what is being planned by this by this organization, and he has to stop it. Ah, there you go. There you go. Russia. The, the old well, style it was, of Russia. As it turned out, having the Russians as the sort of bad guy to this book was, I'm afraid, horribly prescient. Um, you know, the, the, the historical uh, events that have led to where we are now really begin back in the time of Brezhnev and, and, and Khrushchev and, and all the different uh, Russian leaders up until the Iron Curtain falls and the Berlin Wall comes down. And then, of course, you get this sort of this return, if you like, to sort of Russian imperialism, Russian supremacy, which is what we're now seeing. So the book does fit historically very closely into what I think is and has happened in, in Russia and in the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, those Russians are always up to something. Well, I try not to think badly of a whole country or a whole race of people. I mean, it is sort of a, but what you say, I'm afraid is true that, you know, what we're seeing now is sort of worse than anything you could possibly read about in, in, you know, in any work of fiction. It's it's just so terrible. But that said, you know, when the, when the book, when, when we realized that we had this sort of, you know, this, this war happening at the same time as this book. I had to remind myself and my publishers and my readers that the world of, of, of Bond and Ian Fleming is not the real world. We are in a sort of a fantasy world, a world of adventure and excitement. And this book is not a political tract. It is just an adventure. Sure. Yeah. James Bond. Bond. The, uh, is, is, uh, with the Bond books, are they there? I, I suppose you have to disconnect yourself from the Hollywood characters in the Bond books. Is there, is there a Bond character that that's uh, movies that people should reference well, in the book? first of all chris i would have to tell you that the the bond hasn't been, been played as far as i know by many hollywood uh hollywood characters as you as you say i mean oh. sean Curry certainly wasn't at the beginning of his career he was very british and uh and so of course was roger moore of course they went on to become hollywood superstars because that's the power of bond but um you know when i write bond of course i'm thinking of the movies how can you not i mean you know yeah. the the world has seen a James Bond film. It's an extraordinary thought that. And I always sort of think that I'm sort of, I see Daniel Craig when I'm writing Bond and I hear Sean Connery. And that's how I write character who appears in the books uh he's a, he's got a bit of both of them but also you know there's never been a bad bond and every single bond has brought something to the screen that i've that i have sort of in my own way sort of borrowed and, and, and added to my character that's pretty good you get a compilation maybe of all of them i i, I didn't think i'd like yeah i didn't think i'd like daniel craig as a character when they named him but uh yeah wow i 
I don't know. I I might have a hard time uh, thinking he's the best Bond ever. And I, you know, I was a huge Sean Connery fan, still am. Um, I think he played the role really well. Um, I think both him and Craig are my two strongest uh, people that I like the most for the role. But yeah, the voice of Sean Connery. Oh my God. It's just that. You know, I'm also a big fan of Pierce Brosnan and Tim Dalton. Yeah. He did a great job too. For that matter, I always liked George Lesnarby. I thought he was great. And, you know, Roger Moore, I grew up with. That's, you know, I think you can tell mm. your favorite Bond always tells you something about your age because, you know, I'm a sort of the age that, <laughs> but it had to be Sean Connery because I still remember being a little kid and seeing Dr. No at the movies when I was about 10 or 11 years old and being absolutely blown away both by. Well, obviously by Sean Connery, but even more so by Ursula Andress. Um, you know, this was this was everything that wasn't in my life: glamour, good weather, great food, beautiful women, uh, uh, and excitement. I mean, it was it was mm-hmm. like it was like landing on another planet. So Sean Connery has always had a very very sort of close place in my heart when it comes to Bond. But they, as I say, they've all been good. And Casino Royale with Daniel Craig is is one of my very very favorite movies in the whole franchise. Yeah. Really, yeah. Wonderful. I think I've loved him. I, I think I loved him. That sounds weird. I think I loved him the most. Uh, maybe I maybe I'm saying that because the seeing the last movie was really painful uh, at the end. Um, the 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 way that turned out. And I guess I won't give spoilers to anybody who hasn't seen the movie. Uh, but uh, yeah, it it's kind of a, it's it's kind of a weird place of what they did at the end of Bond, and and now you have uh, you know with Daniel Craig, and then they, they have a book, and he's alive again. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, well, I mean, the books, you have to, you know, it's a funny thing. These are parallel worlds. The world yeah. of the movies, uh, and don't forget, there have been many, many more movies, and there have been books. There are only 14 books, uh, or now we're on oh, really? six movies. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, you know, they, they are very, very different. And what happens, the first three Bond novels, Dr. No from Russia with Love and, um, uh, which is the third one I'm thinking of. Well, anyway, the first three films, Goldfinger, were um, very, very close to the books. But after that, they began to move away ever further. So Moonraker, for example, sends um, James Bond into outer space, which never happens in any of the books. Yeah. Uh, and and I belong very much to the, my, my book, With a Mind to Kill, is very much part of the book world. That's where it fits mm-hmm. in. You know, even when you were asking me to describe the plot of it, I had to remember that my plot bounces off a man with a golden gun, the book, not the movie with Roger Moore and Christopher Lear's Scaramanga. So, uh-huh. you know, they are different worlds and they don't really come too close. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you, uh, I, I imagine there's, there's a whole mess of people that, are there, are there people that really like the books more than the movie? Like they're like, ah, the movies ruin the books. Is there that's, people that really like the, the book version better? There is definitely all over the world a huge base of core, diehard James Bond novel fans yeah. who understand that these novels, if you ever go back to them, and I mean, you know, not many people do really go back to the, the great novels from Russia with Love, Live and Let Die, You Only Live Twice, all of them, they are the language and the and the excitement and the adventure, the pace, Fleming's extraordinary view of the world that makes them very, very special. You have to ask yourself, why have the books lasted so long when other spies have disappeared? And that's because Fleming created something so original. And his writing is terrific. These are wonderful thrillers. But I have to be honest and say that the real, you know, the, the real power of Bond now is in the movies. I mean, yeah. you know, everybody everybody goes and sees them. Everybody talks about them. As soon as one Bond retires, everyone is asking who's going to be the next one. Who you know, Can you think of any movie franchise where the newspapers actually, you know, put a front page splash on the who's singing the theme tune for the movie? You know, but that's <laughs> what happens with Bond. It's sort of, it's an extraordinary phenomenon. 
Yeah. And I hope it can, I, I hope the franchise continues to, to smack it out of the park. I guess, you know, now we all have to sit and wonder who's the next Bond. Well, but, as you uh, said, the last, movie, the last movie sort of puts a big question mark over how they're going to continue with the franchise. Again, not wanting to give yeah. anything away, but it's sort of, you know, it ended on a pretty sort of major exclamation mark. It definitely did. So, uh, is there a is there a major uh, evil dude in this book that uh, Bond uh, you know finds he's up against at the end? Yeah, he's a very very nasty piece of work. I mean, I've written three <laughs> villains now, and I think of the three, he is the most sinister and the most unpleasant. His uh, name actually is not a name I chose myself. He's called Colonel Boris. He's a <laughs> Russian sort of psychoanalyst dealing in brainwashing. And what's interesting is is that in the Man with the Golden Gun, written by Fleming, the book a character called Colonel Boris is mentioned as having brainwashed Bond. And that same character has a fleeting appearance in a much earlier novel from Russia with Love. And as a sort of an avid James Bond book reader, I began to puzzle about who is this guy, Colonel Boris? What's he like? What does he look like? What does he do? Does he have a cat that sits on his lap and he strokes when he's doing his evil deeds? You know, what... What, 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 what would it be like to meet him? So I thought, well, let's try. So I used that name and that character and created more or less my own, my own man. Um, but he is the villain who captures Bond and does some pretty horrible things to him. So uh, what kind of imagination do you have to come up with some, some of these horrible things? Do you? <laughs> no, you don't have to be a horrible Who, who hurt you, Anthony? I write, of, I write a lot of crime fiction, and, and I, I meet a lot of crime writers, and they are the nicest people in the world. It's a funny thing. I, it always strikes me as weird. The people who write these really quite violent and horrible things and sort of death and brutality are often the gentlest, kindest, sweetest people you could hope to meet. And you can't believe that, that they come up with that sort of stuff. Uh, I think to write a good Bond novel, you've got to just love Ian Flynn. Fleming, which is where yeah. I begin. I mean, I try and channel Ian Fleming's vision of the world. And, you know, I'm not sure that there was any writer before him who created such extraordinary monsters. You know, the, the Goldfingers, Hugo Drax, um, Scaramanga. Um, they are such wonderful characters. And what's great about them is they're not generally vile. They're not disgusting. There is something always semi-attractive about them. They're interesting. I think we enjoy being with them. Mm-hmm. You know, my favourite scene in a James Bond book, and in a movie for that matter, is when the bad guy has captured Bond, has tied him up, and then gives him dinner with nice wine and great food and tells him his evil plan and says, and now it's time to kill you. This is how I'm going to do it. And these guys never learn, do they? Never learn that actually a single bullet to the head right there and then would be the fastest yeah. and easiest way of getting rid of Bond. No, no, no. They have to try all sorts of clever stuff to get rid of them, like throwing them into a tank of sharks or, 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 or whatever, or trying to tie them down with a laser beam going up between their legs, whatever it may be. And, of course, they always end up sort of, you know, dead at the end of the movie. They never learn. <laughs> I would just make Bond get married to someone, and that would be the end of it. Well, that didn't um, I'm just kidding. He did. He did get married in that movie and, um, and in See the what, book. Um, and, <laughs> and that marriage lasted approximately one hour before it all ended horribly and, and with, with, with blood and with death. <laughs> oh man what are the sort of things that we want to tease out about your book well i think you i mean you know it is it is a uh it's set in three different places it starts in london it moves then to moscow and then from there to berlin moscow and berlin of course being behind the um iron curtain uh it is it's got plenty of action in it lots of sort of big sequences uh there's a great fight that takes place on london bridge in the middle of london i mean there's another one that takes place on the, which i particularly liked the chapter heading is really very very a sort of chapter heading that ian fleming would have been proud of death under the shadow 
chandelier. And on the Russian underground, uh, you may not know this, that the Russian metro system or subway has the most extraordinarily beautiful stations, often yeah. with very, very ornate tiles and chandeliers. And Bond has an assignation, a meeting underneath um, the streets of Moscow in one of those um, subway stations. And there's a really terrific fight, which I enjoyed writing with, a, with I think, the best twist in the book. It comes at the end of that fight. I'm not giving nice. any more away. <laughs> nice. Beautiful. Set in, uh, and, and it's set in 19... 19- the 1960s uh, USSR? 1963, that's right. Yeah, just at the mm-hmm. end of Khrushchev um, uh, being uh, the, the, the leader of the Russians. I always I get confused could. between Khrushchev and Brezhnev, but I think it's Khrushchev. Yeah, they all, they all the F, Nev, whatever. <laughs> Be careful what we say, yeah. Um, it, it's, um, and it's, it's, it's an interesting time because it's when Russia is sort of failing. I mean, there have been so many different issues that have gone wrong. For example, the Cuban Missile Crisis, which many people in Russia see as a weakness, a sign of backing down. And, uh, and Khrushchev gets a lot of blame for that. Uh, but there are other things too. Their relationship with China is sort of in difficulties. And there is a sense that, that things aren't holding together. Too much liberalism, too much, you know, too much giving away to Western values. This is a time when, you know, the Beatles can be heard in, in Russian streets and, and, you know, the Politburo, the leaders aren't happy about this. So the plot is really about, about people trying to return to the old style, the hard core communist Russia to, to make sure that Iron Curtain stays firmly down. There you go. There you go. Uh, one aspect, I guess I'm, I won't be giving something away in the book because this is in the publication. Uh, the, it opens with, uh, well, I'm not sure if it opens in the book. I'm just reading the inside cover. Uh, it's M's funeral. One man That's is missing correct. from the gravesite. But I did mention that Bond has been brainwashed and sent by the Russians to kill M. And what happens is that he does kill M, or so it appears. That is what they have to tell to the Russians, the fact that Bond has killed his boss. Instead, I have to tell you that when I watch those movies, my favorite scenes are always the ones where Bond meets M. I don't know what it is about it. Those scenes are so (laughs) Bernard Lee, the great actor who played him in the early films, and then, of course, wonderful Dame Judi Dench, who took over for the later ones. Those scenes always had a special magic for me, especially as a kid, that idea of, you know, the the sort of... Judi Dench was almost like a mother figure to him. She was sort Mm -hmm. of a... You know, and yet, she, and yet, she was also his boss, and she, she, you know, that wonderful speech she had in one of the movies about him being such a dinosaur and him being, you know, get, 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 get your act together, <laughs> Bond. I used to love all that stuff. So the idea of Bond killing M is a real subversion of what the the yeah. stories were all about. And it was, I, I, I loved the sequence in the man, in the book, Man with the Golden Gun, where Bond brings out a, a special gun he's been given by the Russians. It's made of wood, and it fires acid. Or cyanide or something, yeah, cyanide. So that it so that it can evade any metal detector and it can't be seen. And wow. it kills them. It's an amazing scene. Wow. Well, there you go. That just sets it up for fun. Because yeah, there's always been there's always been uh, tension between their relationships and between the different M's in the movies and stuff like that. That's right. Yeah, and of course now Ray Fiend's taking over for the for the future. He was he was in the last one, but um, who knows who'll do it next time. There you go. There you go. Anything more you want to tease out on the book, Anthony, before we go? Uh, only to say that if you've read Trigger Mortis and Forever in a Day, this is the end of my trilogy. I've done Bond as a young agent, Bond at the beginning of its career. Then with Trigger Mortis, I did Bond in the middle of his career. That was set up a time of Goldfinger. This is an older, wiser, more introspective, a little sadder Bond, a Bond who has been through so much in his life and is wondering what comes next. It's a psychological story as much as an adventure story. Um, the, those who've read it so far, and there aren't many of them yet, but the ones who really count, like my wife and my publisher and my agent uh, in that order 
um, are um, have said it's my best, the best of the three. So I hope I've gone out with a bang. Awesome sauce. Awesome sauce. Well, that's great. We'll be excited to read it. Uh, the uh, Give me your plugs before so people can find you on the interwebs, please. As I say, anthonyhorowitz.com is my own website, or just look up Anthony Horowitz on Twitter. If you read the book, let me know what you think. I will write back to you, especially if you're nice to me. There you go. Uh, May 24th, 2022, you want to take an order that baby up. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Anthony. We really appreciate it. Chris, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. There you go. Thanks so much for tuning in. Go to YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Voss. Hit the bell notification button. Go to Goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss, and all the groups on all the different social media platforms. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.